Live from the D&G Cross Home for Tough Talking Terriers, it's the Dockiverse Podcast. Episode 75, Mrs. Wangdoodle Freaks Out. On this episode, we've got a monster movie review, connected characters, and the GM's toolkit. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, gentle listeners. This is Doc Cross, your host, and I hope that you all have had a good week since our last little get-together. I've had a pretty good one. The weather here has been pretty nice. We had a little bit of rain, not much, but we'll take all the rain we can get. Other than that, I am healthy. Grace is healthy. Yo-Yo is healthy. So things are going well around here. And one of the reasons things are going well around here, particularly for the podcast, are my wonderful patrons over on Patreon who every month send in some money. It helps me out. I bought a new microphone cord, which is why I'm recording like three podcasts today because I didn't get a chance to do it over the weekend. The other cord had a break in it somewhere and was screwing up everything. I wanted to plug it in. Anyway, they help me out. They send the money. I do the show things work out. So thank you, Peter. Thank you, David. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jame. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Avis. You all are great, and I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you are enjoying the Doclopedia Death March, which is going up on Patreon, um, a whole week's worth of entries at a time. And in just about another week or so from when I'm recording this, We'll be putting them up on the blog for everyone to read for free, except that Patreon backers will be like a month ahead of everyone else, so they get to see the cool stuff before the rest of y'all. Of course, y'all can become Patreon backers, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the program. Now, we move on to our monster movie review, and this is actually more of a horror movie review. There's no real monsters in it. There's some creepy dead people, but not monsters. This movie is a big, big movie from my youth. I saw it on TV. It had been advertised by Channel 3 for their Saturday afternoon movie thing. And uh, we all watched it. All my friends at their various homes, we all sat down in front of our TVs and watched this. It is a strange, very low-budget movie. Actually, pretty good. Pretty good for the budget, for the acting, for everything. And the movie I'm talking about is Carnival of Souls. Now, Carnival of Souls is a 1962 American independent horror film produced and directed by Herc Harvey and written by John Clifford from a story by himself and Mr. Harvey. It stars Candace Hillegoss. And its plot follows Mary Henry, a young woman whose life is disturbed after a car accident. She relocates to New City where she finds herself unable to assimilate with the locals and becomes drawn to a pavilion at the outskirts of town. It's an abandoned carnival. And from there, shit gets weird. Director Harvey also appears as a ghoulish stalker who pops up all through the movie. 
Now, this movie was filmed in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'm sure there are not a whole hell of a lot of movies filmed in Lawrence, Kansas, and Salt Lake City, and it was shot on a shoestring budget of $33,000. Now, Herc Harvey had to employ various guerrilla filmmaking techniques to finish the production because there were places he wasn't supposed to be filming and, you know, times of day when things didn't work out. It's not an uncommon thing in low-budget movies, and not even uncommon in certain big-budget movies, like It Came From Beneath the Sea, where they had to film the Golden Gate Bridge secretly because the city of San Francisco did not want it to be torn down by a giant octopus. So it was Harvey's only feature film, and it did not gain widespread attention when it was originally released as a double feature with the now mostly forgotten The Devil's Messenger, which I think is a movie I've never seen. And uh, like I say, it was released in 1962. One thing about this movie, as some more modern critics have noted, is that the score, which is organ music, is very, very good. It really helps the movie along. It really makes things creepy when they need to be creepy. Um, It's really a, a great score. So I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but it starts out with Mary Henry in a car with two other young women when two men challenge them to a road race. During the race, the woman's car is nudged by the boys and it plunges off a bridge into the muddy river. Three hours later, after the police have been dredging the river for a while, Mary miraculously turns up on a riverbank, but she can't remember how she survived. So, since she has a job waiting for her out in Salt Lake City as an organ player at a church, she goes out there, and while driving through the desert, Mary's radio starts playing nothing but strange organ music. This creeped us out when we were kids. She has visions of a ghoulish, pasty-faced figure, uh, simply called the man in dialogue, and she sees a large abandoned pavilion on the shores of Great Salt Lake, which, by the way, I have been to, not to the pavilion, but I've been by it a couple times. Uh, It burned down several years ago. And a gas station attendant tells her the pavilion was first a bathhouse, then a dance hall, and finally a carnival before it closed. From there on, Mary goes into town, she rents a room, a bunch of things go on. Mary's acting weird. She plays strange, kind of vaguely satanic music on the organ at the church. A lot of stuff happens. And when she returns to her lodging, she meets a creepy man who is not a ghoul or anything. He's just a creepy son of a bitch. One thing and another happens. It gets creepy, and she meets a lot more of these creepy-looking people. And I'm not going to tell you any more because there is a twist ending. But, yeah, this movie was creepy when we saw it as, I don't know, 10-year-old. 12-year-old kids, whatever. It was still kind of creepy even when I saw it the second time as a teenager a few years later. I have not seen it in probably 20 years, but uh, it does occasionally pop up on Turner Classic Movies, and it does occasionally pop up on other channels, and I'm pretty sure you can see it on YouTube, and I know you can get the DVD from Netflix if you do that. So it is a movie worth seeing because... It's just very well made and very creepy and gets its story across well, even though it was a El Cheapo movie from 1962. 
some facts about the movie. It was uh, Candace Hillegoss' first movie. She was 20 years old. She was paid $2,000 for her work on the film. And Herc Harvey shot Carnival of Souls in three weeks on location in Lawrence, Kansas and Salt Lake City. With, I think, the bulk of that being in Salt Lake City. And he took three weeks off from his job in order to do this. Uh, he started off with an initial production budget of 17000 He raised 13000 of the total 30000 budget. And he got the movie made. The cast and the crew worked seven days a week to crank this sucker out. As I mentioned, the organ music uh, score was, was excellent and very fitting. And it was composed and performed by Mr. Gene Moore of Kansas City. There was actually an original soundtrack album for Carnival of Souls released in 1988. And I've never seen it, but it'd be kind of cool to have. Carnival of Souls had its world premiere at the Main Street Theater in Lawrence, Kansas in September of 1962. Now, while the U.S. release of Carnival of Souls failed to include a copyright on the prints, which put it in the public domain as soon as it came out, the foreign release marketed by Walter Manley did contain a copyright card and was protected for overseas sales only. You'll see... If you watch this movie or, or buy it on DVD or, or whatever, it'll come in various cuts of various lengths. The 35mm theatrical prints were cut by uh, a company for to 78 minutes. However, the 16mm television copies were printed complete and individually cut by each station to fit their time slot. So if you watched it like I did coming out of Sacramento, California, you saw it at one length. If you watched it in Los Angeles, it might be a minute or two longer or shorter. So it was not a very long movie to begin with. I don't think it was, I don't think it even came to 90 minutes or anything. It was like probably just about the 78 minutes. Uh, although there is someone who listed it as being 91 minutes. No, there's no way it runs 91 minutes. I think it runs, generally speaking, about 80 minutes, most areas. Carnival of Souls went completely unnoticed by most critics at its release. Didn't get any traction until it started being shown on television, and kids like me started saying, wow, that's a creepy movie. The uh, the creepy people in it that Mary keeps seeing, we used to refer to as Uncle Festers, because they looked kind of like Uncle Fester from the Adams Family. They had a pale face, dark eyes around their eyes and all that. I will warn everyone out there, that there was a terrible, 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 terrible remake released in 1998, and the only thing it has in common with the original film is the title Carnival of Souls. It's just dreadful. I don't know if it ever got any release in theaters, but I first saw it on the Sci-Fi Channel. I was looking through the guide on TV, and it said, ooh, 1998 version of Carnival of Souls. And I thought, oh shit, I'll have to watch that. No, absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. I did sit through the whole thing. And it sucks so bad that small items in our house were actually slamming into the TV screen from the suckage. Do not ever watch that movie. Unless somebody pays you a good deal of money to do so. So that's it. That's our monster movie review for this week. 
Carnival of Souls is well worth watching at least once. And next time, we'll have another movie, possibly with a monster in it. Okay, folks, now we move on to connected characters. And these are the last two fantasy characters we're going to be doing. Uh, because in two weeks, when I come back with connected characters, it's going to be pulp for you know, a few months. These two characters are Ergonk and Slig. They are a couple of goblin brothers. They are for hire to anybody who wants to pay the money to have them do whatever they need to be doing, from carrying stuff to killing somebody to whatever it takes. They connect to our previous two characters because the explorers hired these guys on a couple of different expeditions to carry stuff, go into dangerous places first, things like that. Ergonk and Slig are not very bright. Now, let's face it, most goblins are never going to be rocket scientists. But Ergonk and Slig are definitely at the low end of the goblin intelligence chart. Theoretically, Ergonk is the brains of the outfit, and Slig is the muscle. They are not given to actual outright violence against everything. They are very profit-motivated. They will commit violence if they need to, but otherwise, they're perfectly happy just to carry stuff, cook meals, as long as you want a simple meal, be lookouts, go into dangerous places, get the crap knocked out of them by some trap or whatever, and then come out and say, okay, boss, we cleared it out. They actually get paid pretty well for what they do. They are fairly well known. They are actually fairly trustworthy. They're just not bright enough to really think too much about ripping somebody off. Ergonk and Slig can be used in a lot of ways, uh, mostly as henchmen and hirelings. They could be used as a plot device because they've found something and they don't have anybody to give it to because they're not working for anybody. They just found this thing and they don't know what the hell to do with it. So they see you and they go, hey, you want to buy this? And your party goes, well, let's see what it is. And it turns out to be whatever you need it to be. And so you've met Ergonk and Slig and maybe you hire them to work for you. It's like, where did you find this? Well, we'll take you there, but it'll cost you money. And that's how you can use these guys. Now, if I were running a game for just two players, I might give them Ergonk and Slig and say, okay, you're playing these two big dummies who need some work and they're traveling from point A to point B because they heard there might be some work in this town or some adventures or something looking for hirelings. And then you run your whole adventure, which will certainly be most comedic, as the adventures of these two goobs going from point A to point B. I think that would be both funny and fun to run. Anyway, that's Ergonk and Slig. That's the last of our two fantasy-connected characters. And in two weeks, I'll see you with the start of the pulp-connected characters. Now it's time for the GM's Toolkit. And I'm sort of coming to the end of material things that I can talk about that GMs can use. I mean, I'm sure there are some I'm missing, and I maybe will think of those down the line. But after this episode, I think the GM's Toolkit is going to move more towards ideas for how you can do things. 
But right now, we're going to cover some little useful this and that's that GMs can use to enhance their games or to make their gaming easier. The very first one that I'm going to talk about here is something I heard on my friend Glenn Hallstrom's daily Radio Grognard podcast, which is a very good podcast to listen to. It's mostly about OSR stuff, but he also does lots and lots of hints for GMing, and he gives hints to players on how they can make the game better. And this particular one is one of those ones where when you hear it, you smack your forehead and say, why the hell didn't I think of that? And that idea is take a picture of your game board, your playing mats, your whatever it is you lay your map out on, your character positions, whatever. Take a picture of it, especially take a picture of it at the end of a session. That way, next session, there's none of this. Were you standing there or were you over here? Were you there or were you there? Was the monster here? No, none of that. You got a picture of it. And there's no excuse not to do it nowadays because everybody has a cell phone and every cell phone has a camera. Even if you have a crappy cell phone with a crappy camera, you can still get a picture that'll show you where everything is. So that's a great idea. Another good idea is to have a timer at your games. And timers work really well. I just used one in a Dundercon game to excellent effect. Timers work well for increasing the tension of certain types of scenes. So if your folks are in a dungeon and they know the dungeon is going to start collapsing all or in part within the next X amount of time, set a timer for that. Tell them, okay, folks, the dungeon, the first level, will start to collapse in 20 minutes. Boom, you start a timer. Now they have an actual timer. It's actually ticking down. They know in a little bit that alarm sound is going to go off. That completely amps up the actual fear that the players have. And it makes the game go a lot faster because they're not screwing around trying to think of, you know, every single possibility. They're trying to find a way out of there and find anything that will help them survive in the second level. Or you could use it for a number of things like, okay, you guys have got uh, X amount of time before you have to bail yourself out of jail. Otherwise, you're going to go on a work detail and be out of commission for a month. Uh, just all kinds of stuff like that. You just use a timer. Just tell them they're being timed, and it'll really add a lot to your game. I've mentioned using little plastic dudes and stuff like that. And you can also use, if you can find them, scenes from movies or animated series or, or Japanese anime or whatever, and just play a little short scene of something. Now, mostly what you can do is use a monster. So if you want to show, okay, you're facing an undead horde, well, you show something from a George Romero movie or The Walking Dead or even though the movie sucked, the scenes of the fast-moving zombies in World War Z were pretty damn scary. Or you're using a giant kaiju or, you know, vampire or whatever and you show them that little scene. Or you're going to be storming this castle. So you play a scene from an old Errol Flynn movie or something. There's a castle on the hill and that gives them an idea what it looks like. 
you know, where the trees are around it, stuff like that. Another hint for how you can do things, of course, this ventures away from the physical and more into the things a GM can do, and I will talk more about this subject later, is change your voice up a little bit. Now, I'm not asking you to do perfect impersonations of famous actors or politicians or anybody like that. Just change your voice a little. Make it a little higher, a little lower. Maybe try to be a little more feminine, be a little more masculine. Try to sound a little younger, a little older. Depending on what your character, your NPC is uh, saying to them and who they are. So those are some things that GMs can do from the toolkit that'll enhance your game. And the next time we get around to all this in two weeks, I will have suggestions more of how you can actually run your game and how you can actually enhance it using things other than miniatures, maps, things like that. All right, folks, we are at the end of the show. And I want to thank all of you for listening. And if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Dockerverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you're listening on Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. And if you're listening on the Patreon page, you can just go ahead and put in a comment, and I will get it sent to me in the email within minutes. If you'd like to support me via Patreon, and hear these podcasts weeks before they go up on Anchor. And in fact, now I think it's up to like a month or a month and a half before they go up on Anchor. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash DocCross and sign up for as little as a dollar a month to hear the podcast and as little as $3 a month to be able to read the Docopedia Death March entries as they pop up every Monday. If you would like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, I would love that more than you can possibly imagine. So get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned earlier. Our music for this episode was Walk With Me by Track Tribe. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2022 by Doc Cross. I will see you next time. Live long and prosper.